Well, good morning, folks. As we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark, our close reading of, of the Gospel in which we're trying to, to read Mark literarily, I want to begin not with Mark, but with that wonderful story of Noah that you just heard. I love uh, the story of Noah. It's one of those stories that is so important to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian that we've included in what I call the Hall of Fame of Scriptures that we Anglicans read during the Easter Vigil. During that time when we are remembering our Christian stories in the, the darkness together as we strive to rekindle the Easter flame that's uh, gotten a little uh, cool in our hearts. Uh, before we're able to say he is risen, we have to rekindle that flame. And it's one of the, we read the gospel of, of, or rather the story of Noah because it's one of the most theologically significant stories that we have. Uh, for it's where we learn about the covenant God made with Noah. The covenant in which God promised never again to send the primal waters in order to call us back to faithfulness. The rainbow is the first sacrament that we see in the Bible, therefore. The rainbow is the sign of God's promise, where God said, never again will I point my bow at my created order. Whenever I need to call my people back, I will do it through the, by, by calling a people, a people who will teach the world how to live with me uh, in peace and live with each other in, in peace and fellowship. And so we recall that story uh, and we remember how God saved a remnant of God's people so that God's story with us would continue. It's a lot like what happens on the cross, isn't it? Later, in Genesis 12, we hear about how God fulfilled that promise to Noah by calling Abraham to be the father of a special people called to teach the world how to live with God and each other in holy fellowship. Of course, you and I live in a much later act of God's theodrama. You and I have been grafted into Abraham's story by virtue of our baptism in Jesus Christ. And thereby we become a part of God's new beginning. We receive a new beginning by becoming a part of God's new beginning. We become a part of the family of Abraham, participating in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in our gospel lesson today, we see that story continuing. Jesus tells us how we participate in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, how we are saved. He tells us how to follow him. And so we see him telling us in the gospel story today from Mark, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then he says something even harder, for whomever wants to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the good news will save it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. What in the world are we to make of such a paradox? Well, I think a good clue is found in the story, uh, in the phrase, take up your cross. You see, that was a common phrase in first century Palestine. Uh, uh, folks would have understood its meaning, not just in Palestine, but also throughout the Roman Empire. Everybody would have known its meaning. For the, for the cross of crucifixion 
was the way the Romans executed those who rebelled against the imperial power. It was the most horrific way, the most shameful way to die imaginable. And it was reserved for political prisoners. It was a way of shaming the people into submission. What's interesting is that this phrase was also a well-known recruiting slogan of the group uh, that were very prominent near the time that Mark wrote Mark's Gospel, uh, called the bandits. The bandits, those who believed that the best way to resist injustice, the best way to bring about the restoration of Israel was to take up arms against Rome and her collaborators in Judah. Such persons were routinely crucified by the Romans. They were called insurrectionists. Over 2,000 were crucified just four miles from Nazareth, the town where Jesus grew up. Uh, when he was just a boy, maybe four to eight years old, he, he, uh, you, it's easy to imagine him walking past these 2,000 uh, crosses and these men suspended from them because they, uh, they were every few hundred yards uh, along the way to the market town closest to Nazareth called Sepphoris. Uh, uh, and so he would have seen it when he went with his parents to the market. The cross was the destiny of Jews who took on the empire. In other words, the phrase, to take up the, your cross, was a call to arms by the bandits. It was a call to respond to the injustice and violence that those in power perpetuate on the weak with a more formidable violence, to beat the violent at their game. So when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him, and when he says for those who want to save their life will lose it, he's making an unmistakable claim. A claim that following him means resisting the injustice and violence with which the powerful hold the weak in bondage. So folks, it turns out that uh, uh, being saved is, is perhaps not what you thought it was. You see, once again, Jesus is invoking the courtroom drama of the human one from Daniel 7. We saw that last week in our story when he, when he responded to, to Peter's claim that he was the Messiah with, by, by, by rejecting the category of Messiah and said, no, he's the human one. Human one is a symbol, as we, we spoke about last week, from Daniel 7. And, uh, uh, and, and, and by doing so, Jesus is saying that, hey, when you... When you uh, stood up in front of your church and, and, and whenever it was that you might have claimed that you were saved, whether or not you used that language, if you thought about yourself as among those whose destiny uh, is salvation, well, Jesus is telling us it's, it's not as simple as raising your hand or putting it on a Bible and making promises and naming Jesus as your Savior, uh, as your personal Savior. No, Jesus, the human one, is engaged in something he expects us to follow him in. He's engaged in mortal conflict with the beasts that we saw in Daniel 7, with the beasts who the people of the land in, uh, in despair uh, um, uh, must resist. Uh, you know, the, 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 the people who keep the people of, of the land in despair through uh, their commitment to falsehood, through their commitment to injustices, their commitment to uh, the bold lie, the, the big untruths. Uh, and, and we're to resist them. Uh, those folks are in power, Jesus says, 
of the beasts. They're in power. In this case, it's the Jerusalem authorities. And they are in power and will judge Jesus and kill him. That's what we heard last week. Those folks are themselves capable and will judge Jesus. And many we talked about last week, many of us believe, see ourselves as capable of judging Jesus uh, and determining whether we're going to follow him. But the truth is, by accepting their crucifixion of him on the cross, Jesus robs the powerful of the, of, of the one weapon they have. He robs uh, their violence of its power, and he enacts judgment upon them. So to follow Jesus, to save your life, means doing as Jesus did. It means conquering your own fear of death and robbing those who terrorize you, robbing whatever terrorizes you, of its power. So to save your life, you have to lose it. That's how we cooperate with God in God's efforts to conquer evil. So, if you're part of the family of Abraham, you're part of this effort through which God is conquering evil. You're part of this resistance to the ways of the world. So one of the ways the world can tell that you and I are part of the household of Abraham is that we embody this. We actively embrace our vocation, this vocation we receive by our commitment to follow Jesus that includes resisting the injustice and untruthfulness, the falsehoods of the world, resisting the violence of the world. Now, at first glance, that might not seem so hard. I think all of us here earnestly desire to fight injustice, or at least to resist it. And it sounds so romantic, doesn't it? Like Jesus is telling us to join him in this fight alongside the bandits and the bandits' crusade. You know, it's sort of a call to the ramparts. Well, I'd volunteer for that, wouldn't you? I don't know about you, but I was groomed from the time I was a little boy to be a bandit. Well, let me rephrase that. I was, uh, I was groomed not to be a bandit, but to be a warrior. I grew up in a culture in which boys were expected to grow up into alpha males willing to sacrifice ourselves for God and country. Our culture, the world, shapes us little boys and little girls that way. We're taught that to be successful is to be politically sensitive and mostly polite warriors. You gotta learn to swim with the sharks. Only the strong survive. It's a dog-eat world. We are groomed from childhood to root for the bandits, to root for Robin Hood. Unfortunately, Jesus subverts the meaning of the bandit's recruiting slogan by adding three most inconvenient words. And follow me. There's the rub. There's the problem. For it means we're not to take on injustice with our swords or our tanks or our sharpened tongues. Indeed, if you've been listening to all of the stories from Mark that we've been reading these last several months, you know it means precisely the opposite. Following Jesus means being agents of healing. It means being the one who reaches out to touch the heart of the leper 
who's in our midst. It means feeding all who hunger. So we're to put aside all our polite and civilized ways, those ways by which we murder each other, the, the murder we commit with little arrows to the heart that say, I can't be seen to be affirming someone like you. I can't stand by you. I can't eat with you. I won't share my bread with you. No, following Jesus means we're to take our bow and put it in the sky like God did as a sign that we are forever pointing it away from our fellow men, our fellow sisters and brothers. Taking up the cross of Jesus means something much more difficult than riding with Robin Hood. To take up your cross and follow Jesus means to do that which is certain to get you crucified. To save your life is to lose it. So, being a part of the family of Abraham, being saved, means taking up our cross and following Jesus and doing it his way. But how does one do that? How does one lose one's life in such a way that one saves it? Let me suggest a radical approach that is sure to get you crucified. I hope you'll try this in every aspect of your life. Love your neighbor in the radical way that God loves you. Decide right now in this moment that no matter how your family members, your friends, even those outside your intimate circle, how they respond to you, that their behavior towards you will in no way determine your relation to them. Determine in advance that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how often they break your heart, no matter how, no matter how outrageous they they, they are, no matter how many arrows they fire at you, no matter how many times they break the bonds of affection between you, that their rejection of you won't determine your posture towards them. Determine in advance that there's nothing that they could do that will cause you to turn off the fountain of love that gushes out of you from some source that you know is beyond you. Determine in advance that you will give your life in order to give another life. If you do that, I can assure you that you will be crucified. For the world cannot tolerate that kind of love. And it's that kind of journey, a journey to the cross, that tells the world that you are indeed part of the family of Abraham, living out your God-given purpose, the God-given purpose of your life, of being the bearer of new beginnings. So here are the good news. What I was just describing, why that's exactly the posture God has taken towards you. God has determined in advance, before you and I were born, to love us in spite of the fact that we are often unlovable. No matter how many ways you have broken God's heart, no matter how often you have rejected God's love for you, no matter how you may have fallen, no matter, no matter how, how low you may have fallen, no matter how far you may have run from God, you will never reach a point at which restoration is impossible. You will never get beyond the reach of God's loving embrace of you. 
you will never be far from the possibility of this new beginning that you yourself are called to bear. A new beginning that has already been given by God for you. Brothers and sisters, on this day, may the rainbow become forever a sign for you of this promise of God. The God of Abraham, the God of Noah, our God of new beginnings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.